Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Monday. Is Monday going to be awesome, or is it going to be awful? Welcome to the show. Every Monday, we're going to look back at the previous week, and we're going to look at some of the things that were awesome about this week and maybe highlight a few things that were awful. So sit back and enjoy the next few minutes. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today is August 16th, 2020, and as usual, it's another beautiful day here in Alamogordo, New Mexico. The sun is shining. The pool looks inviting. Uh, It's about 91 degrees outside, and we've got a great day ahead of us. Uh, I want to, before we get started on this show, uh, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. You can find our podcast listed anywhere that you get your podcast from. Uh, It may be Spotify, it may be Google Play, it may be Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, we are listed there, and we encourage you to subscribe to the channel, hit the notification button, because that will let you know every Monday when a new episode is uploaded. And while we're on that subject, I want to say thank you to all of our faithful listeners. Uh, I got an email this week that said that we have reached the 200 plateau uh, of downloads on this podcast, and I want to say thank you so much for that. Uh, Of course, today uh, I'm drinking coffee once again. And today, my recommended blend is Italian Roast by Starbucks. It's a bold blend, and it is a tasty blend. I hope that uh, you'll go to the store and pick you up a pound of that and see if that's not the case. I believe that you are going to enjoy this cup of coffee. Uh, I'm wearing my baseball uniform, and I'm doing that for a reason. Because yesterday, Major League Baseball celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. And it was a great day on TV. They told stories. They uh, had interviews. They began to show pictures. Uh, During the games, items would pop up on the screens. And they played tribute Uh, to all those great men that played in those leagues in the 20s and the 30s, uh, the 40s, and even up into the 50s. And there were some great athletes that played in the Negro Leagues. Uh, There were men that were well ahead of their time. Uh, There were power hitters. There were men like Josh Gibson. It is said that he hit home runs so far that they were measured at 550 feet. That's a long home run. Uh, There were men that were all-around athletes, such as Monty Irvin. Monty Irvin, uh, during the 40s, most people considered him the best all-around player in the Negro Leagues. There was a man of great speed called Cool Papa Bell. It was said about him that he was so fast that when he turned the light off to go to bed, by the time uh, the light actually went off when he hit the switch, he was already under the covers. That's fast. And then, of course, 
there was Satchel Paige. Satchel Paige played a long time. In fact, when Jackie broke the color barrier, Satchel Paige was considered past his prime. And even after Jackie broke the color barrier, Satchel Paige got his opportunity uh, in the major leagues. Uh, In fact, uh, he first was called up to the major leagues in 1948, even though he was 42 years old. Uh, In 1952 and 1953, when he was 45 and 46, he made the all-star team both years. In fact, in 1965, he was still playing and pitched three scoreless innings against the Boston Red Sox. He was 59 years old at that time, and it would have been three hitless innings. But there was a man by the name of Carl Yastrzemski, a Hall of Famer himself, who got a hit off of Satchel Paige. There were a lot of ball players that had a respect for Satchel Paige. Joe DiMaggio said this about Satchel Paige. He was the best and the fastest pitcher that I ever faced. That's high praise coming from Joe DiMaggio. And this week, Major League Baseball has played tribute to that. The one negative about it is because of the coronavirus, it had to be delayed. Originally, they were to celebrate this on June 27th, but they weren't playing baseball yet. And they had to move it back, even though that all the plans had been in place. And uh, yesterday, they had their big day. And there were no fans in the stands. It would have been perfect if there would have been 15 major league ballparks that were filled to capacity that got to celebrate the Negro Leagues uh, alongside of us on TV. The Negro Leagues were not a minor league system. And it was not a league to where the talent was lower than major league baseball. Uh, In fact... The talent there was probably greater uh, than some of the major league talent we have even today. Uh, It was not one of those leagues to where it's a minor league town and you may have 1,000, 1,500 people in the stands. Uh, When you begin to study and read about the Negro Leagues, they drew more fans sometimes than the major leagues did. Uh, It was an exciting time. It was an exciting league. And uh, African-Americans all over the country, their heroes were playing there in the Negro Leagues. Uh, It had to have been an exciting, exciting time uh, during uh, the Negro Leagues heyday there. I wish that we were able to celebrate this uh, with full fervor Uh, like the original plan was. But oftentimes when we think about this particular time, uh, we think about Jackie Robinson, and rightfully so. Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier into the major leagues. That color barrier was not there by law or by rule. It was an unspoken rule. And no African American had played or was allowed to play in the major leagues. And Jackie broke that color barrier, but he didn't do it alone. 
Uh, it was a dual effort between him and a man by the name of Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey was a religious man. Branch Ritchie was a man uh, that had a vision for America that included integration. And though he didn't hold public office, and though many didn't even know who he was, he just kind of figured, well, I can do my part. Uh, I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And he happened to be part owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And that was his goal. He wanted to do that. No other owner in Major League Baseball stood with him. Uh, they did not support him with this. In fact, uh, they wanted more than anything for him to uh, lay aside this dream of his. But Branch Rickey was not going to be deterred. And he began to look for the right man to break that color barrier. Uh, it was a man that had to be skilled in baseball. And it had to be a man that was of great character. And that time came in 1947 after America had just come home from war. Jackie Robinson served in the Army, and uh, he had come home, and no doubt he probably experienced more freedom in Europe in the Army than he did back home. Uh, but uh, Branch Rickey saw Jackie and said, this is the man. This is the one that is going to break the color barrier. And he sat down with Jackie, and he shared his vision with Jackie and told Jackie, Jackie, um, you're going to have to be skilled, which I don't have a uh, doubt that you, you have these skills. I know that. There's no doubt in my mind. But it's going to be far more than that that you're going to have to uh, have responsibility for. Uh, you are not going to be able to respond to the racial slurs that are going to come your way, uh, towards the hatred that's going to come your way, uh, towards the physicality that you may face uh, in the batter's box or, or uh, around second base. You are going to have to be uh, an example uh, you cannot give people an excuse to think that an African-American cannot handle the pressures of playing in the major leagues. Uh, and Jackie agreed to that. And Jackie, he had to even face hatred and discrimination from his own teammates. When he showed up to spring training in Vero Beach, Florida, uh, his own teammates, many of them, were adamantly against a black man playing on their team, a black man being in their locker room. And several of the players signed a petition and gave it to Branch Rickey and said, if Jackie plays, we're quitting. Branch Rickey took care of that. And it wasn't long before the regular season started and the fans started, the opposing players started, uh, all of that, and Jackie performed perfectly, not just on the field, but in his character as well. And but it wasn't it wasn't too long before Jackie started to win over not just his teammates, but the fans of Brooklyn as well. And if you know anything about Brooklyn fans, they're hard fans to win over. Uh, but before long, Jackie became theirs, and. Before long, 
the nation begin to embrace Jackie Robinson because he could hit the ball, he could throw the ball, and he could run those bases. And people saw an exciting brand of baseball, and they saw a very, very charactered young man uh, who willingly took all of this on. Now, do you want to put it into perspective? That was 1947, uh, long before Dr. Martin Luther King, long before the I've Got a Dream speech in 1963. Uh, Jackie Robinson began to lay the foundation uh, of the civil rights movement uh, that would come along in later years. And uh, we've got a lot to thank Jackie Robinson for. It's a shame that he is no longer living. Um, his wife is still living, uh, last I knew, but um, uh, it's a shame that uh, we could not uh, pay tribute to him while he is living uh, even today. Uh, I'd like to recommend you to see Ken Burns's documentary on the history of baseball. He spends a tremendous amount of time and a tremendous amount of effort dealing uh, with the race division within baseball and did a fantastic job of that. I believe that you'll come away with a new appreciation uh, of Jackie Robinson, of Branch Rickey, and of the Negro Leagues. We now come to my favorite part of the show, Miss Adventures with Mom. Two weeks ago, we left off in the middle of an adventure. Actually, we were in Paris, France, and I encourage you to go back two weeks and to look at that episode or listen to that episode uh, to kind of get a little bit of the background there. But at the time, I was stationed in uh, England, and my mom and my little sister came over to visit, and my mom got a great deal on the trip. It was a trip that included a viewing of the Broadway hit Cats and then a hover boat ride uh, across the English Channel uh, where we would ev eventually end up in Paris, France, where we would stay five days and four nights. And it turned out to be a tremendous trip. But the transportation part of it was quite an adventure. And that's putting it mildly. If you've ever traveled with my mother, my mother likes to be prepared. Um, she is prepared for the zombie apocalypse even today. She's got her bags packed. In fact, she's got about 20 bags packed for all of that because she does not go anywhere unless she can get as much stuff traveling with her that she possibly can. Now, in today's world, luggage is limited. Uh, they weigh it, and you can only have a certain amount of luggage if you're going to travel by airplane. Uh, but this particular trip in 1992, there were no restrictions, and Mom took full advantage of it. Uh, on our Facebook page, uh, that is called Monday Awesome or Awful, uh, I've got a picture posted there of us on a train with a huge pile of luggage. And yes, that is all moms. Uh, none of our luggage, I believe, is even in that pile. But my mom uh, decided that five days and four nights, uh, we had to be prepared for anything and everything. And so she packed. And those bags 
were not all clothes. Uh, in fact, some of those bags didn't even have a stitch of clothing in them. See, she wanted to be prepared in case she did not like the food in France. And so she was going to bring canned goods. Uh, and she brought a lot of canned goods. Uh, we had cans of tuna. We had cans of deviled ham and deviled chicken. Uh, we had baked beans. We had vegetables. We, uh, we had a, a huge, huge suitcases filled with canned goods. And you can imagine how heavy those suitcases were. And it's not like when you travel today, uh, all our transportation hubs seem to be connected. No, sir, not in the 90s. Uh, in fact, uh, we had to get all of that stuff, first of all, to London by train. Uh, then from London, when we were making our way to France, we had to uh, get on a train to Dover to get on our hovercraft. And we had to walk. Uh, to the train station probably a mile and a half with all of this luggage uh, so that we can get that train to Dover. And then once we got off the train, we had to carry all of that luggage once again to the hovercraft terminal. And uh, that was quite a workout. In fact, uh, those bags were so heavy, uh, my mother wrenched her knee out during that trip, and her knee has never been the same uh, since. In fact, my mom walks with a permanent limp, and part of it has to do with uh, those bags there uh, going to France. Uh, now, that's not the end of the journey of the luggage, because once we got on the hovercraft, we only got to Calais, France. We had to unload all of that in Calais, and we had to walk to a bus terminal, which was probably another mile away. And we had to load those bags onto the bus, and the bus carried us to the outskirts of Paris. And there at Paris, we had to unload those bags off the bus and into a taxi cab. Now, go ahead and look at that picture and see that pile of luggage. And you want to talk about an engineering marvel? Getting those bags into the taxi cab was an engineering marvel. Don't talk to me about the Great Pyramids of Egypt. Uh, that's nothing compared to being able to fit all of that luggage into the taxi cab with the four of us and the driver. That was a stressful journey for us, especially with all of those canned goods. Now, of course, we got to France, and we liked the food there. I never had a doubt, but Mom did. Jean and I, we kind of spent most of that time uh, separated from Mom and my sister and uh, kind of did our own thing with the tours and all of that. And uh, we ate just like we were tourists. But the problem with it is when the five days and four nights were done, all of that food that wasn't eaten had to go back to England. And so we had to make that journey all over again. It was not fun. I want you to try to imagine what my hopes and dreams were uh, in traveling to France. 
I imagined myself on that bus or on a train and looking out the window and being able to see the pretty countryside. Uh, but no, when I looked out towards the window, all I saw was a wall of luggage. So one day I'm going to have to go back to France just to see what it looks like from the train. Uh, and that's not an unusual story. Uh, having to do with mom and traveling. I am sure that my sister, who has done quite a bit of traveling with her, uh, has better stories than the one that I've just told. She can tell you about plastic bags in airplanes. Uh, she can tell you about uh, luggage so full uh, that they bust at the seams. Uh, but that's just what you get when you travel with mom. So that's my mom's story today, and I am going to tie it in with this principle. Can you imagine carrying that luggage through London and through France? You wouldn't want to do that, would you? But you know, most of us, we walk through life carrying unnecessary baggage with us, and it causes us not to enjoy the life that God has given. You know, the Bible tells us to lay aside those weights, and those weights can be any number of things. Uh, it could be revenge that you're carrying around with you that uh, is causing you not to enjoy life. Uh, it may be a habit that you have uh, that is impeding uh, on your quality of life. Uh, it could be a, any number of things that you carry around with you. And the best thing for us to do is lay those weights aside uh, and just enjoy life and live life to the fullest. Uh, that's the way God intended for us to live life. And sadly, we've picked up baggage along the way that God never intended for us to tote. That's my lesson for today. And I'm going to leave it there and in the podcast. Uh, once again, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to seeing you again next week. And uh, until then, may God bless you and may your week be awesome.